I think in almost in any age, people want to read contemporary political events into this and, and read their own politics into it. Welcome to Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Thank you for joining us for our very first episode. Every week, we're going to put you in the room with two Yale Divinity School professors while they have a casual conversation about one of the upcoming texts from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm your host, Helena Martin. I'm a student at Yale Divinity School and an Episcopal priest. If you're writing a sermon this week or preparing a Bible study, or maybe you're just looking for a new point of departure for your own reading of the lectionary, regardless, you've come to the right place. This episode, we have Joel Baden, professor of Hebrew Bible and director of the Center for Continuing Education, and Tisa Wenger, associate professor of American Religious History. They're discussing Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 16, which is appointed for this Sunday, November 28th, the first Sunday in Advent, and the first Sunday of year C in the lectionary. The text is read for you by Mike Liebenau-McElintel, who's our Marquand liturgical assistant here at Yale Divinity School. Jeremiah, chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So Tisa, this week's reading is uh, Jeremiah 33, which contains this very famous line, in those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Obviously, a text that has had, you know, enormous messianic interpretations and repercussions, especially for Christianity. But as you and I read this, it has sort of a, a timeless quality too, insofar as it, it sort of speaks to the notion of uh hopes for a, a new beginning, uh, both, you know, religiously, but also, uh, as is so often the case, politically, uh, the notion of a, a, a new regime coming to power, one that's blessed by God and that will sort of correct the woes of previous generations. Yeah. And, you know, as in the context of the larger passage, a larger book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah seems to be all about establishing God's power and authority. But this passage in particular conveys really a mood of expectation. Um, God's people will be vindicated. God's kingdom will be restored. A couple of verses earlier, the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem are desolate, and uh, they need to be brought back. Uh, the time is coming when those who are suffering will be redeemed and rescued by God. So, I think it's easy 
traditionally, as you said, Christians have read this as a messianic prophecy, maybe reading Jesus back into the text as the branch of David, and some um, today might read it in light of contemporary politics. I think in almost in any age, people want to read contemporary political events into this and and read their own politics into it. Who's the righteous branch that will sweep away wickedness and restore God's order? But Joel, how would you describe the situation to which it originally spoke? We read it so naturally as eschatological and messianic now, but I suspect it was no such thing at the time. Uh, Jeremiah is writing and prophesying in a a moment when, at least in in Judah, in in the southern kingdom of Israel, what had been a multi-century dynasty of David's line on the throne had just come to an abrupt end, much to everybody's sort of shock and chagrin. Uh, and, and this was sort of a completely unheard of, unheard of thing that had happened. It happened from Jeremiah's perspective precisely because the people and their kings had sort of lost their sense of justice and righteousness and it started acting badly. And so as a result, the, you know, the dynasty comes to this, this sudden end, you know, having been destroyed by the Babylonians. So this isn't really looking so far into the future. Jeremiah is essentially saying, so look, we got beat. We lost the things we lost because we deserved to. If we repent and we get our act together, uh, you know, it's all going to be restored, right? Mm-hmm. The days are surely coming when I will maintain the promise. It's not even uh, it's often translated fulfill the promise I made. It's really just maintain the promise, right? It's an ongoing promise, right? David's line will always sit on the throne. This isn't about like something long for the future. It's about an ongoing promise that simply everyone needs to get back to. The people need to repent and I'll then put a king back on the throne, one who will uh, execute justice and righteousness. And when that happens, I will restore all of my protection to Jerusalem just as it was before. So Jeremiah, I think, is, is again, not looking to some distant messianic future. He's trying to convince his listeners to change their ways so that everything can just go back to normal. So, well, I mean, what is it about this? Pa- like, is it is it the translation or is it something about the, the passage or is it just the tradition of how it's been read? You know, the, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And, you know, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And, you know, we know how this has been read over generations and generations and generations as, I mean, on the one hand, uh kind of successive prophets and prophetic movements have read this as, you know, the days are here now. This is the time that it was mm-hmm. being prophesied, right? Or alternately reading it into a distant kind of uh, future. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, some of the language, in, in part, it's just, some of it just has to do with like what we think of as sort of flowery eschatological language, right? The righteous branch. Nobody says that about like, normal anything, right? That feels to us like, you know, that's Messiah talk, the righteous. I'm not sure that it would have been uh, Mm -hmm. for them. It just is for us now, in part because we've taken these verses and read them that way. Right. right? So now every time it says the righteous branch or the, you know, shoot from the stump of Jesse, we're like, well, you know, that's obviously something more than just the next generation. But of course, you know, the image of 
causing a branch to spring up is not actually something that happens in the you know, far future. It happens like every spring. But some of the language also, and, and this is not captured at all in, uh, in the common translations, but you know, the NRSV reads here, the days are surely coming, says the Lord. But what it literally says is, the days are like imminently coming. Like they're, they're about to be here. Uh, and again, so, it, you know, it's, it's got a very sort of modern right now sort of, sort of sense to it. What I think is, is, is so interesting about it is, you know, as you said, used by all sorts of groups to talk about, you know, it's the, it's the very next thing, right? It's, it's coming now, but also, right. It's this the language is used for, you know, as we said at the beginning for sort of the, you know, what's coming around the corner has got to be better, right? The thing that's coming next is going to be the, you know, our salvation after the desolation that we're currently experiencing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and you think about, you know, in the sort of heightened political climate of especially modern America, but really the world over, that everybody, everybody in every sort of political moment is thinking, you know, the next thing's got to be better. Or yeah. we finally like have achieved the thing that, you know, we have finally achieved righteousness and uh, justice after years of not. And both sides will claim this as their own in every, you know, in, in every possible opportunity because it has this sort of eternal sense of, you know, it's bad now, but there's a promise that it's going to get better. Yeah. And I think what you just said helps us understand why this passage and so many biblical passages just resonate over time and with so many different people, because it does have that, you know, even if we read it in a translation that conveys the immediacy of the promise, it speaks to the immediacy of our own moment and different moments over time. Right. And, and this, especially as those meanings get layered, right? And successive mm-hmm. generations, as you said, the 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 language of the righteous branch takes on greater and greater significance. Yeah. And and honestly, this is this is how prophecy has been read, you know, for as long as prophecy has existed, even, you know, back into the biblical times itself. Almost every biblical prophet was speaking to their immediate historical context. Jeremiah was talking about the conquest and the destruction of Judah and the conquest of, of Jerusalem. And he was talking about, you know, getting over that terrible thing. But as soon as that wasn't the thing that was happening anymore, how does Jeremiah become useful for another generation of readers? Why does anybody care what somebody said about? an event that happened a while ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago. The reason that we continue to read the prophecy is precisely because we continue to update its references and its relevance, right? We make it not about the historical event it was originally about, but about something more, something further out, something broader, something more abstract, so that it can be constantly reused and we see prophets doing this in the Bible to earlier prophets. I mean, Daniel does this to Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, you know, 70 years. And Daniel says, he meant seven times 70 years, right? 
And, you know, so this constant sense of, in, of, of interpreting to make it about us, that the sea scrolls are interpreting the text this way. Lord knows, you know, uh, Christianity, New Testament and early Christians are entirely, and, and early Judaism as well, entirely taking these prophecies that were so historically specific as this one was and saying, yeah, but in order for this scriptural passage to be meaningful to me, it can't just be about that. It has to be about me. And it has to be about now. And, you know, this, again, is one of these passages, in part because of its language and in part because it has entered sort of such a traditional, you know, liturgical sort of uh, reading, right? When you read this passage every single year or every few years, you're being encouraged by sort of just by the shape of liturgical cycle itself to make it relevant to what's going on now, right? Mm -hmm. If it weren't about now, why would I be reading it right now? Right. Well, and not only about now, but about a kind of um, eternal future, right? And God's plans for, for all of us and for the world. Yeah. And that's the other thing that this passage does. You know, it makes the passage of time and the change in sort of what's happening in the world, it makes it part of a divine scheme, mm -hmm. right? Now, when we say it's been bad, but it's going to be good, it's not just political and it's not just social or economic, right? It's, it's part of something bigger, right? The, the deity is, is making this making this happen. It's part of the promised future. That's right. And I mean, it is some it is about the traditions of reading and it is about the liturgical calendar, as you're saying, but there's also in the text and in the structure of the prophecy, I think encourages us to read it that way. I mean, mm -hmm. even the word of the Lord, you know, as the chapter begins before this passage came mm -hmm. to Jeremiah, thus says the Lord who made the earth, who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name, right? There's a, this, uh, it's cosmic. It's cosmic. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Where is time situated? This is, this isn't just, even if Jeremiah was talking about human time and simply the next thing that's going to happen to us as a people, he's framing it as, you know, part of cosmic time, part of the cosmic plan. And that's going to be something that we read and we understand as being always the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's cosmic time and not just linear time. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of Chapter, Verse, and Season. Please take a few minutes to subscribe and review the podcast and maybe even to share it with some of your friends who would enjoy it. This is especially helpful for brand new podcasts like ours. For more about chapter, verse, and season, or for more Bible resources in general, visit YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, verse, and season is produced by Joel Baden, Kelly Morrissey, and me, Elena Martin. Our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. Thank you, as always, to the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. And thank you to Professors Baden and Wenger for sharing their wisdom with us today. We'll be back next week with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.